Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. And thank you so much for joining Watermark's podcast series, Women of the C-Suite where we have the pleasure of hosting some of the most distinguished female executives anywhere about their journeys and the paths they took to get to the top. I'm Nicole Ward-Parr, and I join you with my co-host, the CEO of Watermark, Peggy Northrup. In this series, we draw out meaningful insights and candid perspectives that will help you to make your mark. Welcome. Thank you for listening in. I'm Peggy Northrup, the CEO of Watermark, and I'm so excited to introduce our guest today. Molly Q. Ford is Vice President of Talent and Brand Marketing, which is a brand new job for her, so we will be asking her about that at Salesforce. Prior to that, she was in charge of global equality programs at Salesforce, where she was responsible for shaping and sharing the company's core value of equality and evangelizing the Salesforce culture. Molly, prior to that, worked on the Salesforce public relations team. And before that, she held positions at major tech companies, including Cisco, Checkpoint Software, IBM, and UMAX. She holds a BS in public relations from San Jose University. And I'm so excited to talk to you today, Molly. Thank you. You as well, Peggy. Thank you so much for having me. So I love talking to women about their career paths and especially their career pivots. So some people grow up thinking, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a truck driver, whatever it is. Could you have imagined the career you're having now? I know you've been at Salesforce a long time. You've had a couple of different jobs. Um, I absolutely could not have charted or figured out this journey. Um, And the funny part about my journey is, you know, I didn't have the words back then to say it, but I was always one of those people who walked in a room and said, where are my allies, right? Who can I depend on? Of course, allyship wasn't a concept to me 10, 15 years ago. I didn't have those words, but it's funny how it's just woven um, a thread through my career. I, again, just passed 10 years at Salesforce, which I can't believe. And then someone asked me yesterday, why do I stay? And I said, well, candidly, I've had three very big different jobs. Uh, I had a traditional public relations tech product career when I joined Salesforce. And then I was one of those people going, well, what about diversity, right? What's going on with this and what's going on with that? And I created the first women's summit at um, Salesforce, within Salesforce. So sort of like what Watermark does, but putting our customers first. And when you look on stage, whether the conversation is around AI or leadership, it's a woman having that conversation, right? A woman leader talking about that as the subject matter expert. And so that kind of led me into diversity. And I'm the founder of the Office of Equality. That was about six, seven years ago. And really working to operationalize equality. So what are our inclusive inclusive business practices? What can we do to make Salesforce more equitable? Um, And that was an amazing job, an amazing journey. And then literally, I just started as talent, brand, and marketing. So when I think about that job is, how do I sell Salesforce to future employees, right? Prospective employees. So how do we do lead generation? How do we bring those folks in? And why I'm excited to be in this seat is not only to have a better view into recruiting, but making sure that equality, diversity, inclusion is at the heart of what we're doing. 
So how do we attract that talent and recruit them with equality as a score? Fantastic. Well, you know, as an old anthropology major, <laughs> I think a lot about culture and culture change and how people change cultures. And that's really what we're talking about, right? I mean, you are responsible for communicating culture change and for instituting culture change and for rallying people around new ideas. And, you know, we tend to think of it as like, oh, well, the culture is just the way it is, right? And it's like, you can't really change it. But in fact, the culture changes all the time. We've seen mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you think about that? How do you influence people to create a culture where people don't just want to come work at Salesforce, but they want to stay? They, want, they feel like they belong at Salesforce. They're not saying, oh, well, this was great for 10 minutes and now I'm looking for my next thing. And you know, the biggest thing about culture right now, Peggy, that concerns me is, you know, I'm going to go back to the pandemic, right? So having been at Salesforce 10 years, what I know and see is the culture and what someone starting their job, you know, right now and always being on Zoom is going to be totally different. At Salesforce, we're super intentional about defining our culture. And we used to call it this term Ohana. And that was the Hawaiian uh, word for family, but your chosen family you choose to be responsible for. And we receive feedback from our employees that they don't really like the, the usage of Hawaiian language terms. And maybe we're not being as respectful as we had thought 10 years ago or 22 years ago when the company started. So we've started to move away from that naming and really started to say to our employees, what do you see as the culture? How are you experiencing it? We're digging into our employee opinion survey data and letting that inform us. And so I told someone just yesterday, how I know the Salesforce culture is you go to the Diwali celebration, right? South Asia Force, our employee resource group for those of South Asian descent, it's a big festival of lights. The food's gonna be amazing. There's gonna be saris, there's a Bollywood dance. It's an amazing way to share and experience someone's culture and learn, right? But we're not doing that now. Now we're all sitting on this little box in Zoom or this box in Google Hangout. And so to me, culture is very much about how you're connecting with people, how you're experiencing your leader, right? And your team, right? I, I do a lot of virtual coffees with brand new employees who are like, I know my manager and maybe two teammates, right? So how are we making sure folks are building that connection? So when I think about culture, I think number one, it has to be deliberate. I think the number two thing, you have to give it a name. Right. That helps people define it. Uh, one of the, the things I like about Salesforce is day one, we do volunteering your first day at the company because we talk about how important giving back is. Right. And so we're not just telling you that's our culture. You're going to experience it. And that's how we're being intentional about it. So I just think that naming it, being intentional and repeating it and making sure everyone understands it is really important thing when we talk about driving culture. Very, very interesting. Well, I talk a lot with other business leaders in different companies, uh, some tech companies, some consumer facing companies um, who talk a lot about leading with inclusion, this idea of how leadership has changed, how our leadership uh, practices have to change because we are so many of us are working remotely. Um, somebody from Autodesk that I was talking to recently um, said the role of the manager has changed pretty much forever because mm -hmm. the kinds of things that managers have to be responsible for now, and we have to be responsible for the health and well-being of our employees. We didn't used to have to think about that in quite the same way, mm -hmm. but with endemic at burnout levels, 
um, we really do have to pay attention to one another in, in really different ways that I think are stretching people. So in your own in your own life, I mean, what do you how do you talk about burnout at Salesforce? I mean, you still have have big goals and 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 uh, uh, things you have to accomplish, um, but people are kind of burned out. Absolutely. And we have something uh, we are definitely excuse me. I'm sorry again. At Salesforce, when we think about well-being, we feel like that's step one, right? No one can bring themselves to work if their well-being is at stake. So starting throughout the pandemic, we've done numerous employee surveys to get a pulse on how employees are feeling, and we've provided a number of resources, right? Through benefits, right? So now we have what we call Can't Be Well, which is open actually to anyone. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time, we take 30 minutes to have a presentation or conversation around mental health and wellness. And there's an expert, and that's open publicly and to every single employee. Then we boosted up our benefits, right? Our benefits package to say we have Lyra Health. In addition to, you can get um, employee assistance program counseling, but maybe I need a career coach or maybe. Maybe I need something else. Uh, how do we support that employee? And then there's another benefit we launched that I think is super important, especially for women, is through an organization called Wealthy. And so that benefit really supports the sandwich generation. That means I'm taking care of elderly parents and I'm raising kids. How do I get support, legal advice, medical care advice if I'm worried about a parent? So really, we're saying that it absolutely starts with the employee well-being first. You can't bring yourself to work. You can't do great work if you're worried about things that are going on with your health and well-being. Um, to me, another thing that I just think is, as a manager, is underrated is permission. Mm -hmm. Giving your employees permission to step back. We started a COVID leave program, no matter how old your children were or your spouse or anybody sitting at home alone right now, right? You know, quarantined in the house, right? We said, do you need a leave? And how do you apply for a leave? And how we can be transparent about the leave? And, and I think as a manager, we really are being called on to lead with our hearts instead of our heads. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And let's hope that that is the kind of practice that continues past the pandemic for lots of companies. And I think that the companies that are going to emerge from this period as places where people want to work and places mm -hmm. that continue to grow, right, are going to be the places that are taking this seriously. Because I'm seeing the opposite trend in some companies too. I'm seeing uh, leaders, managers, usually guys, let's face it, saying we got to get back to normal. And mm -hmm. women in particular, that normal did not work for us. Right. Right. There's a flexibility we've all realized and that I love to say everyone's an adult, right? Mm -hmm. You can still get your work done. And, and the biggest thing for me about the pandemic was um, parents when their kids, you know, I'm on a Zoom with someone and there's a kid over their shoulder, their kid walks in the room and feeling like they have to apologize. And I'm like, you don't need to apologize. I'm in your living room. Mm -hmm. Right. You're like, I'm in your living room. Work has just invaded the home. Right. Yeah. And so it's not the opposite way. And, and, and if you've got to tend to your child or take that time, we all need that flexibility and that 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 workplace flexibility. It's it's crucial for yeah. folks going forward. Yes, exactly. I mean, we've won the argument. There was an argument for many, many years, right, that you can't really be productive at home. Well, that argument is over. We won mm -hmm. that argument and mm -hmm. you, can be, you can have flex time and get your work done. And so mm -hmm. 
I think that's that's a huge cultural shift for us. Let's talk about you personally. Um, you know, you are responsible for so many employees at Salesforce and making sure that this works for them and that their the culture that you're instituting works for them. What about you? What have you learned the hard way and the things that you have to do for yourself to keep yourself from burning out and keep yourself keep yourself sane during this really intense period? Um, this year, I took three weeks off. That is the first time I've taken three weeks off in well over 10 years or as long as I can remember, right? And the the amount of, oh, the trepidation about asking for three weeks off was first scary and crazy. And then the reaction of my manager is like, yeah, uh-huh, we get it. Okay, no problem. That was like, oh, wait, wow, okay. So I've, I've decided that I need a vacation on the horizon. I need a trip to look forward to. I need to know that there's a point where I'm going to be able to disconnect, right? Um, then I'm doing small things to find joy. Mm -hmm. On Fridays, I do virtual coffees with like uh, interns or uh, newer folks at the company. And it's a 20, 25 minute virtual coffee conversation. And it really just gives me a nice reprieve and rest from a normal meeting, meeting, meeting cadence where it's like, you know, um, having to solve something. And then when I think about kind of what I wish I'd known in my career and what I've learned, and Peggy, I promise it's going to sound elementary, but the currency of relationships. Yeah. I've realized how important that is. And when you think about your ability to get things done, ability to break through the noise and kind of get to the heart of what is needed and how to do it. To me, it really is all about those relationships. And I make a point to feed and fuel those relationships before you need them. Yes, so important. We talked, we had a session recently about networking and so many mm -hmm. of us think of networking as, oh God, it's like another thing that go on my really long to-do list and I really don't. And it feels, it can feel inauthentic, mm -hmm. but when you mm -hmm. put it that way as these are relationships that sustain you, that you can then rely upon. And it's like, you, you've got people on your speed dial to call when things go wrong and you really need advice or you really need help. That is mm -hmm. a different way of thinking about networking. It's like you are, this is the, the ocean we swim in, right? We need buddies. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think about it like this. Prior to the pandemic, I would have been filling my water jug and bumped into you in the break room. Right. Hi, your kids. How was your weekend? Or I bring my lunch, so I'm fixing, put my lunch together. Somebody walks in, I'm having that authentic conversation. And so how am I keeping those connections and network going? Um, and so that's really important that I'm looking for a way to kind of maintain that. Mm -hmm. And so you said earlier in your career, you, I mean, I love this question of what would you tell your 25-year-old self if you could meet her today? Mm -hmm and say, now, before you do X, be sure to remember why, what would you say to your 25-year-old self? I love this question because usually I'm like, he ain't worth it, girl. <laughs> um, but, but in a serious business context, um, I think younger in my career, I didn't take advantage of that network and get to know people and ask people for help. Because the one thing I do love this new generation because I think they do that and they do it well. But I believe that people want to help you in business. They want to be a part of your network. And so you've got to figure out a way to seek it out, ask for it, 
and not be a burden. I love to tell this funny story about myself getting a mentor, right? And so as a, as a manager, a couple of years ago, I was really challenged with keeping my team motivated and, and not, you know, we're on to the next project. And I really was like, how do I give them development and growth opportunities that won't necessarily be a promotion and also show I value them? So I went to our talent and development and training team and I said, hey, you know, any really great managers that might have more junior teams that they need to keep motivated? And they suggested a couple of folks to me and I sent a leader a message and I knew he had heard of me, but I can't say we knew each other, right? And I said, hey, as a new manager, I'm struggling with XYZ. Z, I heard you're good at this, so throw some flattery in there. And I would like to take 30 minutes of your time once a month for the next two months, or I said two quarters, so six months, if you could help me and coach me and guide me through this. So what I did there was I didn't do that apologetic, like, I know you don't have time. I know you're busy. I know. Nope. I just need 30 minutes of your time. And this is exactly what I need. I was clear about what I wanted how I could use them, what kind of information I needed. And what I loved is the first time this gentleman met with me, it was 30 minutes. The second time after that, it was always once a month for an hour. Wow. Second time I met with him, he's like, here's a manager book that helped me. Here's this, oh, go read this article. And then it was two way, give me feedback. How are we doing? How's this conversation going? And so when I think about my 25 year old self, I wish I would have invested more and in those relationships sought out that counseling, that guidance, and really just asked people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like so often we think that in order to be good at your job, you have to do it all yourself and come up with all the answers yourself. And mm -hmm. I have decided that I have all my best ideas when I'm in the room with somebody else. And so why wouldn't I that's take great. advantage of that? Right. right. It's like, it's, that's where the magic happens is mm -hmm. in a collaborative mm -hmm. zone. But I love your advice about seeking out a mentor and the specificity of it. And yes. right, people love to be asked for help. I mean, think about how great that is. I love it when people ask me for advice. It's like, mm -hmm. wow, really? I, <laughs> something that I've done makes sense to you? Great. I'd love to tell you more about it. So that is really great. Now, you must be mentoring others as well, though. I mean, do you have people that you're kind of looking for? I mean, when you want, yourself want to want to give back to, to others that are maybe not directly reporting to you, do you do that? Absolutely. But I do a funny thing. Uh, Peggy, I give people mentees. So I just like that same connection. I'll meet someone like I had a woman approach me and say, I'm an executive assistant and I'd like to move into the business. And we had a couple conversations and then I went and found an executive assistant who moved into the business and said, this is your mentor now. And she said, well, well, wait, you're going to mentor me too. And I was like, well, I don't mind talking to you but that's your mentor now. Like that makes sense, right? There's a gentleman on my team who went from being an intern to a full-time hire. So a lot of interns call me and I may or may not talk to them, but I'll definitely say, hey, go talk to this kid. He is on the path that you want to be on. He's got the best experience and you know real life experience to what you're doing. So I do a lot of that. So I really pride myself on being a connector. Yeah being a connector, but I do tend to mentor and mentor a lot of employees. And I, I really love it because to me, it's a genuine conversation, but like my example, I am definitely like, if you want me to mentor you, what do you need and how can I help you? 
And I'm very candid about that may not be my ministry or strong suit. And I always have an opinion, but here, maybe you go here. So that's one of those things that I actually love just as much as mentoring is that um, really being a connector and connecting people. I think that's super important. And I myself have a career that has really benefited from mentorship. And I like to say sponsorship. So I've seen the fruits of what that can do for you. Right. So I absolutely want to make sure I'm doing that for someone else. So you talked earlier in the conversation about allyship. And you said before we got on this on on our podcast, you talked about mm-hmm. being the, you know, looking at people in the room. It's like, who are my allies? And how do you define allyship now? And what do because we know there are not enough women to go around to mentor other women. You need to have allies all over the place. So how would you how would you define allyship these days? So at Salesforce, the Office of Equality has the most amazing practice and framework for allyship that I carry with me everywhere. And it's it's a starter pack, I say, for allyship. Allyship has four practices. Ask, listen, show up, speak up. I love this. Ask. Ask people about their journey. And I don't mean going to an Asian person saying, no, where are you really from? No, no, no. We want to authentically talk about your career journey, your passions, your values. So you want to ask people. And for me, it's the curiosity. The curiosity that I'm trying to get to know you, the curiosity that I'm looking for uh, ways where our, our, we might intersect or align in our values or our journey. And then I say, listen, listen with empathy and respect. And the thing about it is the workplace is not the Thanksgiving table. We're not going to always agree. So let's be respectful, right? We're not going to always agree. Let's be respectful. But we want to listen with empathy and respect, right? And so ask, listen, uh, show up. Right. And so I love to say how we show up for parents now before the pandemic. Right. One of my employees, I always know her daughter's going to come in and tell me hi. And her and she her daughter tells her Molly's my friend. And she's like, no, Molly's my manager. Right? <laughs> right? But her daughter's like, is that Molly? Let me come tell her hi. She can hear me and wants to come in and say hi. And so I want to show up differently. Hey, how's teaching fourth grade? How's it going? How's the balance of it all? How are your parents doing? So it really is a genuine empathy and and just that permission and and letting people breathe. It doesn't bother me if your daughter comes in the room. I get it. Again, going back to that, I've invaded your living room, works in your living room, not the other way around. So that's how you're showing up. And last but not least, speak up. And I think speak up sounds easy and it's the hardest part and it takes the, mo- the most courage, right? And I love that there's this thing on Twitter where they call it a heat right? And I hate to pick on men because we need our male allies, but there's this funny saying where a heat is when a woman says something in a meeting and everyone keeps talking and the conversation moves forward. And then a man says the same idea and everyone goes, great idea, Bob. And the woman's yeah. like, wait, that was my idea. So I told my team, we're going to flip that. We're going to be positive. We're going to call it a sheep heat. So if Peggy says something in a meeting, I'm going to advocate for her and go, wait a minute, I believe Peggy had a good point. Can we stop and maybe address that? Or I believe Peggy just said that five minutes ago. Peggy, go back to your original thought. So really looking at how we're advocating and making space. I'm a talker, Peggy. So in a meeting, I have to remember that, hey, did everyone get a chance to talk? And maybe not calling people out because I know some people process and they'll think about it, have a comment later, but also just making space and saying, hey, did everyone have an opportunity to speak up and say something? But when we come back to that 
men as allies, right? I want, you know, women to be my ally. I identify as black. I want a white woman to be my ally. I identify as straight. I want to be an ally for an LGBTQ person, right? So I've got to do my education and do my homework. And, and what does it mean to, to introduce yourself with your pronouns? And how do I do that? And let's talk about the importance of that, right? So allyship is super important, but I tell every woman I know, we all need a cisgender, able-bodied white male mentor. Mm -hmm. Especially if you look at tech or the business world, the sheer number of executives or leaders that are men, they figured it out, they're doing it right, the system's working for them. We should all be getting that same advice. And sure, I need my sister circle. I have a group of black women at Salesforce who I can gripe with and do my you know, preferred girl. Let me tell you what happened today. I have that. But at the same time, I make sure that I have a network and a circle of folks that I'm connecting with. Right. I think that's so, so important. And as we said, again, it's it's there aren't enough. There aren't enough people who are exactly like us mm -hmm. to mentor all the other people. You really do need that that you need the people in power, right? Absolutely. Power Absolutely. Right <laughs> Still. So right. very, very important. And the last point I'll say about allyship, I know it, it's we're making it sound easy. Ask, listen, show up, speak up. I realize that it's hard, right? How many times have we all left a meeting kicking ourselves going, oh, wish I would have, could have, should have said, blah, 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 right? But it really is about stepping in and speaking up for someone in the moment and thinking about, wow, there is a time where I've been an only or wanted an ally, and how do you do that for other people? And it doesn't have to chastise folks, but there really is a role that we all have to play in normalizing this. I was looking at some data from uh, the McKinsey Women in the Workplace report, and it said that women are three times more likely to leave a company because of microaggressions. Yes. Right. And we know microaggressions as those everyday little snubs and snide remarks. And it's not a big egregious something. It's like the little tiny things questioning your credibility or your credentials. Or are you really qualified to be in this room? Little things or little snide comments that really, you know, erode trust and, and, and break down relationships. And so it's like, how do we make sure as managers and leaders, we're checking our microaggressions and our biases to make sure we're not doing those things. And then part of that is that speak up. Yeah. Right. Part of that is that speak up. And sometimes, you know, folks need that help or they need that ally to support them. Yes. I'm the microaggressions can be so exhausting. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that was we did a survey along with Vox Media where um, many of the black women in our survey said remote work has been good for me. I am worried about going back to the workplace um, uh, and feel like it's a trade off. Right. It's like I have some relief from microaggressions because I can be remote when this meeting is over. I can turn off my computer and I'm at home and it's like the instant turn off. And I know I'm not maybe getting the sponsorship or the mentorship that I would get in a in a in a um, a physical workplace, mm -hmm. but that's an okay mm -hmm. trade-off for the moment. I was really struck by that, struck by what women women were saying. The other thing that I was interested in in our in that survey was, you know, millennial women and older women are having very different experiences during. Mm -hmm during the pandemic. And I think that's something that we, I mean, we've talked about parents, we've talked about um, the different ways that people are experiencing this, this time, but older women are 
reporting more feelings of isolation, more feelings of, well, you know, people are, are saying, I can't learn this new thing. I can't learn how to be re a remote worker. Um, and there's nothing, and especially in tech, older women can really be left out. Mm -hmm. So they're leaving. Mm -hmm. uh, in our survey, we found that women were it was like a million women. Um, uh, if you uh, if you look at the at the data, it's like it's a million women over 50 have, have left the workplace, mm -hmm. um, not wanting to. Yeah, there's a saying that that employees vote with their feet, right? They walk out, they go to the next company. And when we think about this great resignation, right, and how the pandemic has impacted women, what scares me most is if not just women leaving, right? it's leave, women leaving the workforce, right? We um, are still, what is that? The UN says we've got a hundred years for parity. And it's like, no, please don't set us back. This can't happen. But I definitely think employers have to figure out how you can make the workplace of the future work for everyone, right? And one of the things Salesforce is doing is we call it flex. It's come up with your team agreement, right? So I, uh, as a manager, I'm empowered to sit with my team and say, what's our agreement next year for coming back? What will that look like? And for my team, we've said one or two days a week, mm -hmm. right? And we will try to select a similar day so everyone can kind of come in together and be in the same um you know, be around each other, go walk to lunch together, all those traditional things. But absolutely no one is looking at it like we're all going to be 100% back at work. And uh, we like to think about it like, you know, work is what you do, not where you're at, right? right? And so it absolutely, if companies want to be an employer of choice going forward, they cannot have this expectation that we will ever go back to five days a week, butts and seats. That That's not gonna, that's not gonna work for our employees, right? And they are going to select or deselect your company based off that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was certainly what we found too. It's like 90% of women wanted a, a hybrid or a fully remote workplace, but they have enthusiastically endorsed that. Somebody else said, and there was a great piece of advice um, that a friend of mine uh, gave, and I just passed this on to my daughter, that says, go where you are celebrated, not tolerated. Holler. I love that. Great one, right? That's like I love that. A really good rule for, and when you feel like the situation is not working and we are lucky to be in a time when if the situation is not working, you do have options. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. um, but I see women really leading, leading this, whatever this next normal is going to be. I see women like you. I see women at other companies who are really setting this new standard. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like it's, it's like women are in charge of this, of this next normal? I love that. I always want women to be in charge. Um, I do think that. I think absolutely folks are going to start paying attention. Let me give you an example. At Salesforce, we do twice a year an employee opinion survey. Uh, then we also slice that survey, not only intersectionally by women, but women of color. And then we say, what are their unique needs? I think there, we've come a long way, I will say, in 10 years to understand that women move through corporate America differently. And now women of color or women with disabilities or persons that identify as LGBTQ are really moving through corporate America differently. And I think companies are starting to pay attention and understand, right? And for me, it, you know, hats off to the data, to the data scientists, right? Because the data doesn't lie. Yeah. Right. You know the experience that your employees are having, whether you're looking at your uh, attrition by population or you're looking at your employee opinion survey data. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so great. It's uh, the data orientation has really changed a lot of companies. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Well, a tiny pivot in our conversation. What is um, what's really exciting and inspiring you right now in your personal life? Are there things that you're reading that you're excited about? Things you're listening to? I just reread the Four Agreements. Oh, yeah. And that was something that was really good for me to revisit, especially now during the pandemic. Um, and specifically, it's the the be impeccable with your word, right? It really was a time where I love a book like that, that you can pick up and do something different. Um, when we think about inspiration, um, I am excited about, you know, this new journey and career I have going at Salesforce. Uh, I literally had, even though I've been here 10 years, I went to an offsite for the first time three weeks ago. Wow. Um, I will be honest. Not only is it exhausting, it's exciting. And we safely convene at Salesforce. There's daily testing, um, temperature checks, all that stuff. But it was such... It was surreal to be in rooms with people again. And and like you said, Peggy, the brainstorming, collaboration, bouncing ideas off people, that was phenomenal. That that part was super phenomenal. And that really had me inspired, um, you know, that there will be opportunities, hopefully, for us to come together and have touch points that I'm excited about. Um, Yeah. Yeah, great. Great. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And do you have, I mean, obviously just gotten a a promotion, a new job. So this is, this is, is way down the line for you, but do you feel like you have another mountain you want to climb, whether it's personal or professional? Do you think someday I want to do, I don't know, be a mountain climber, be a, be a skydiver, uh, write a book? Yeah, well, it's funny you just said it. I think there's a book somewhere in me. So I am looking forward to that. And I gave myself a year to get started on that and dig into that. I think there's a book in me. Um, The second thing I have that I want to challenge myself, um, I want to challenge myself to be a great people manager. Peggy, I am a great individual contributor. I'm a great get it done person. I would like to be a great manager. I'm very clear that I'm a work in progress manager. Great. And what to you, what, what, how do you define great people manager? I want to be inspiring to my team. I want to help them transform their careers, right? Like if you work for me and this isn't your dream job, how do we go make you get your dream job or your dream assignment, right? I really, like I say to my team, when we do a one-on-one, I want it to feel like a power pellet. Mm-hmm. Like I want it to feel like you walk away like, yes, you know, let me go take the hill. I got it. Uh, one of the things I started instituting with my team, because we have such a fast paced culture where we move from one project to the next, right? Um, I said, let's start our one-on-ones with you bragging. Tell me something great you did this past week. And I'll be candid with you. My four direct reports are all women. Um, they, they don't naturally brag. <laughs> that is not a thing that they are comfortable or natural. We, we talk about our values. And one of my employees said, I think my values are humble. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But humble brag, though. Go ahead and humble brag. But I really say start our conversation telling me something great you did. And even better, Peggy, I call it Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? 
<laughs> I tell people like, tell me why you're great. Remind me again and start our 101. And it's funny because some people will give me something professional and somebody will give me something personal. One person said, I've been sleeping eight hours all this week. And I'm like, that, that is an accomplishment, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm jealous. Um, and so I'm really, this next mountain I climb, I want people to feel that I am a great manager who has invested in them, supported them, advocated for their career, and was a little bit tough on them. Yes, right, right, right. I always used to say as a manager myself, I want to be a launching pad, not a cul-de-sac. Oh, wow. I do not want people to come and work for me and feel like they can't go anywhere else. I want to make sure that they wear, that they get the training, they get the experience and they get the support so that the next job they go to is a big job and they make me look good. (laughs) Absolutely. You want to export talent. That's exactly how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much joy in that to see the people that you have nurtured um, do really, really well in life. So that is, that is wonderful. We have to talk more about that. And when you write your book, I want to interrupt exactly. you about your book. Okay. We'll do that. So um, we just a couple more minutes here. I don't want to take much more of your time, but I love to end all of our um, podcasts with what are you most grateful for right now? It's a time of we're in the season of gratitude and it's, it's such a lovely practice to think about the things we're grateful for. I'm grateful every morning that my husband brings me a really good cup of coffee. Sometimes that's is all I get to be grateful oh, for that winner. day, <laughs> but he's a keeper. Yeah, um, he is. And <laughs> what are you grateful for, Molly? Um, the big things and the little things. So first it's health, right? Health, I think, is on the forefront of everyone's mind. And I am very grateful to say that I have remained healthy. Um, you know, my and I would say the second thing is, is friends and family. So my partner and we have a small tradition. We do pandemic flowers now. Uh, we do pandemic flowers. We keep fresh flowers in the house every week. And that is just one of those silver linings and treats. That's that's amazing. And, and I would say friends and family. We've really figured out how to keep each other safe yet sane um, how to really support one another. Uh, I have a friend who's, whose daughter goes to a camp uh, a block away from my house. So I pick her up and bring her back to my house until she can get out of work and get over here and just really, you know, community. Community really stepped up. And I think with my friends, my family, my brother, we've been, and my partner, we've been really good about helping each other, keeping each other safe, um, encouraging us to get vaccines or look at reputable information about what's happening in the world. And so I'm just really um, grateful for that community. That's really grateful. Molly, thank you so much for joining us today. What a great conversation. I feel like we could go on for hours and I'm looking forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Peggy. And all you all do at Watermark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening today. Along with my co-host, Nicole Ward-Parr, I invite you to check out all of our upcoming programs at wearewatermark.org. With leadership training and inspirational fireside chats with awesome coaches, entrepreneurs, and women business leaders every single week, we're dedicated to helping you become the leader you were meant to be. We hope you'll consider becoming a member, lend your expertise, or come to one of our in-person conferences. We'll learn, we'll connect, and we'll have fun, I promise. Hope to see you soon. Thanks again.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.